2: Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Team Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Detroit Tigers. We're going to talk about Jackson Job's first full season, what to make of breakout years from Wilmer Flores and Ty Madden, and if Colt Keith is the Tigers' long-term answer at third base. To do all that, we are joined by Emily Walden. Emily is a longtime Tigers correspondent for us here at Baseball America. But before we dive into baseball, those of you who are in the baseball world on social media or listen to our podcast know that Emily uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer a little over a year ago, went through a year of treatments. Uh, She finished up her last chemotherapy recently, and she is now fully in the recovery stage. Emily, first and foremost, how are you?
3: I am doing so good. First of all, so excited to be back with you to just go over. The system, like we do every year, and absolutely overwhelmed by the love and support from not only the Baseball America writers but just everyone across Twitter, Instagram, all of the platforms who stepped up in such a huge way that I think just spoke volumes about the baseball community. Um, when you see someone of your own that's like in a tough position, um, they literally rallied together. I mean, it was it was truly truly incredible to watch and so it just makes you realize once again which i know you've noticed as well how privileged we are to really be a part of this community and how special it really is
2: absolutely like you said a lot of people were were rallying for you and sending good thoughts your way and as we talked about just you know off air a little bit ago you're getting ready for the season you'll be back out there this year And, and i know a lot of fans are looking forward to seeing you and i have to ask what are you looking forward to most getting back out there this year
3: Honestly, I think just the sense of routine. Um, for anybody who knows me, they know that I am definitely a creature of habit, especially when it comes to preparing for the minor league season. I was able to make some games last year. I was It was very challenging, which I'm sure everyone can imagine, but was able to still get out to the park a few times. And the hardest part is just navigating all of the different things that come with the treatments, just the general fatigue, it really kind of takes the wind out of your sails. And so for me, I think the biggest challenge was really just pacing myself. Um, as much as I love baseball, it it does tend to take a back seat when it comes to these kind of situations. So for me, I think it's just a matter of saying I get to sort of start fresh, um, be able to get out to the park, see all the old faces, connect with some of the fans again, and just really give a lot of gratitude to everybody who was so supportive throughout last year.
2: Absolutely. Well, Emily, we all never had a doubt that you would beat it. And we're thrilled that you're through the woods and uh, getting ready to get back to, uh, to a normal routine here in 2023. We're all very, very happy on a number of levels. And with that, let's talk some baseball. You ready?
3: Absolutely. Let's do it.
2: All right. So, I feel like you and I have had some variation of this conversation multiple years about how the Tigers have a a long, long track record, sadly, of not developing homegrown players very effectively. And that really, really was driven home to me when I did our our farm system study a few years ago, looking at how every team had done from uh, 1998 to 2012, a 25 season span. And the Tigers were right near the bottom in terms of number of major leaguers produced per year, number of all-stars produced per year, really pick your favorite metric, they were near the bottom. And in 2017, this is a team that went into a full blown rebuild. They traded Justin Verlander. They traded JD Martinez. They traded Justin Upton. They traded Alex Avila and Justin Wilson. And the idea was get some high draft picks, do a reset. And within four or five years, they'd be back competing for Hale Central Championships. That did not happen. Uh, 2022, f- five years later, they went 66 and 96. General manager Alavella was fired in part because the rebuild didn't work. Uh, Scott Harris was brought in to be the new president of baseball operations from the San Francisco Giants. And a lot of the players that the Tigers were really counting on to Helped lead them back to contention. Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning struggled with injuries. Some of the position players they were counting on, Spencer Torkelson really, really struggled in his rookie year, got demoted back to AAA, struggled surprisingly back down there. A little bit came back up at the end of the season. And Riley Green, like, like most young rookie players, is going to have some ups and downs. But the fact that pretty much all the guys they were hoping would kind of lead their resurfacing, if you will, struggled in some form or fashion with injuries or performance really was kind of a downer and, and put this organization in a place where you feel like they've been rebuilding for five years and they're still going to have to do another rebuild here now. Where is this organization and and where are the sources of optimism?
3: Yeah, I would definitely agree with you on the frustrating aspect of, of what many of the fans thought was going to be sort of forward motion in regards to um, strengthening and rebuilding the organization. But like you mentioned, injury has been their Achilles heel for the longest time. Um, the Tigers have really kind of kicked against a lot of criticism in regards to player development. Um, there's been a longstanding concern with injury when it comes to that. And obviously we saw that through the result of Manning, my school, Really, the the core of of who the Tigers were looking for to sort of breathe some fresh life into the major league roster. And from what I've seen, just from talking with some of the new additions to the front office, specifically um, Vice President of Player Development, Ryan Garko, there really is a fresh sense of perspective coming from these new guys. Um, Specifically with Ryan, he's somebody who, first of all, he's been around the game. He understands the ups and downs. He's seen the ebb and flow of the time that it takes to really invest into an organization before you're going to see that long-term effect. And for him, I think he has seen enough points to where he is excited. Um, It's a genuine enthusiasm. He understands where the organization has struggled in the past. And I think with the overall realization that there are areas that need to be targeted, specifically with um, analytics um, obviously proper development trying to avoid that injury bug that just won't seem to leave the team alone that's going to make a world of difference and then on the other side of it you're looking at the scouting Um, the tigers have not specifically been very good at the international front in years past Um, they have received some criticism for that as well so i know speaking with the front office They are focused in on really trying to right that ship, so to speak, as far as taking better advantage of what the international field has to offer and really trying to dig in with their scouting department and say, okay, where are we looking at long-term? Where are the areas we really need to focus on? And as we know, they have a tendency of wanting pitching, but I think for them, they are still really limited in the very solid power offensive forces that they have coming up. And I think there's
2: definitely some gaps to fill. One of the things that a a pro scouting director raised with me last year that I I didn't really think about directly, I kind of knew it abstractly, but I didn't think about it so much as a, a clear pattern, was in player development, a lot of times the Tigers have tried to add plate discipline on the back end, which is just not a very good recipe for success. And you look at their major league roster, and given these are players who they've signed or acquired in different ways, they're not all homegrown guys by any means, but there's a consistent theme up and down this major league lineup when you look at the strikeout to walk ratios. A lot of guys with very, very high strikeout totals and very, very low walk totals. Plate discipline is something this organization has struggled with top to bottom, you know, majors to minors and really every avenue. Is that something that the new front office and player development system is really targeting?
3: That is a topic that they did mention um, in my conversations with them. And I think, again, as a whole, I think they really are aware of those areas that have been sort of an ongoing struggle. And specifically with Ryan, he made it very clear in stating that they're going into the season with knowledge of all those areas. They've been very, very strategic in who they've put into place in order to try to overcome those and just really give a sense of saying, look, here's some some progression. Um, Because the fan base as we well know, looking at social media, the fan base is starved for something to be excited about. And I think for the Tiger system, it's really going to be a matter of taking it down to the studs saying, okay, we're gonna start fresh. We've got people in position who are skilled in these areas that we have noticeably been falling short in in the past. Now, how do we get this foundation stable enough to where we can put the rest of the pieces in place and really start to show ourselves growing as an organization?
2: Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, six straight losing seasons. And you go back and look, 2017, they won 64 games. 2018, they won 64 games. You'd think there'd be some progress, but you look them in 2022, they won 66 games. So a very, very small improvement, not anywhere near what they were hoping for. And some fundamental changes were made. We'll see, obviously what it's going to look like in in practice, not just in theory. Um, As you mentioned, these are mostly new guys. It's going to take a few years for them to really input their ideas and get them flowing from top to bottom. With that, I I do want to ask, is this a team that in some ways does have to do a second rebuild here? Because there's not a ton of talent in the big leagues. There's there's a lot of injured players. Um, But even if you account for all those guys being healthy and say Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green do hit their ceilings, there's still a lot of holes on this roster, and, and the farm system is not what it was previously. Is this a, a team that has a chance to win games in the major leagues in the next one to two years, or are we looking at another three, four, five year window here?
3: You know, I think with the shift in the front office that they have made recently, I, I think we do have to call it a second rebuild, rebuild 2.0, if you will, um, just because it is it's it's a new it's basically a new war room, if you will. You know, you've got people in there who, they've been around the game enough, but they're also not jaded by the ongoing struggles and the ongoing running against a wall. And they're saying, look, we're coming in from the outside, we're taking our expertise from the outside, and it's our chance to really put these pieces into place. I think we're looking at probably another two to three years. there was definitely some signs of optimism last season, but not enough to really say, OK, this is going to be a contending team. Um, so it's it, it, it's going to be tricky and it's going to be very, very vital to see how they handle this season um, and how they target those areas that they've needed to target in the past. So I think we're still looking at a good two to three years. Um, and But again, I would love to be proven wrong.
2: Yeah. And then again, a big part of it's going to be these guys getting healthy. You mentioned Casey Mize and Matt Manning, both having Tommy John surgery. Um, Tarek Skubel had flexor tendon surgery at the end of last year. So if those three guys can come back healthy. That'll be a big boost. All right, Emily, want to dive into this farm system. Cause again, we've talked about that. The hope for this team is in the future. You have those three pitchers. Spencer Torkelson has graduated. Riley Green has graduated. So there's some new names at the top of this farm system now that you know, previously were numbers six, seven, eight, and are now numbers one, two, three. With those graduations, chief among them is Jackson Job. He was the third overall pick in the twenty twenty one draft. It was a pick that a lot of Tigers fans were not happy about, given Marcelo Mayer was there. And through their first full seasons, um, you can see it on the BA Top one hundred. There, there's not much question that Marcelo Mayer is the better prospect and projects to be the better big leaguer than Jackson Job. At the same time, Jackson Job had a solid first full season, had some struggles early, uh, missed some time early as well, but came back and finished strong, showed some good things. What were the overall reviews of Jackson Job's first full season and and how clear-cut was it that he was their number one prospect?
3: Yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways I had with Jackson, I actually spoke with him uh, just a couple of weeks ago um, for my latest report with Baseball America. And the biggest thing I think for me was how quickly he was to point out those aforementioned struggles that you you had talked about, he understood where he fell short. And I think when you're talking about a kid who just turned 20, not that long ago, and he's already got a sense of, okay, if I wanna see myself succeed at this level, this is where I'm going to have to improve, X, Y, and Z. And the fact that he's already tackling that after such a short time in the minor league system, I think really speaks volumes for him. Um, he's somebody who right off the bat was talking about pitch design, uh, talking about maximizing his potential, knowing the different areas that he excels at and seeing the areas where he really needs to work on. And that was his focus this off season. Um, he's got a pitching coach in Oklahoma that he works with on a regular basis. He took away what he had this past season, applied it this off season, and this is what he's carrying into spring training. So for him, Very optimistic, but he's also very realistic for being still such a young kid and being able to have that good of a head on his shoulders and understanding, if I want to excel, I'm going to have to do less of that, more of this, and really step up my game for the 23 season.
2: Yeah, I think one of the most encouraging things is how he finished out the year post All-Star break. If you go from his first start through July 9th into the All-Star break he had a 5.09 ERA, those first 13 starts. I remember talking to some evaluators at the time, and they said, you know, I see things to like, but I can't put more than a number four or five starter here. Um, there's just a lot of things that still need work. And again, you know, seeing your third overall pick, have a ERA over five this first half, his first full professional season low A, especially in the Florida State League, which is a, a pitcher-friendly league, is not what you want. There are definitely some, some concerns there but he came out of the all-star break and finished the season really, really strong. I mentioned that five Oh nine ERA through the all-star break. His final eight starts after the break 2.70 ERA, and everything was better. You know, opponents average opponents on base percentage opponent slug dropped a lot. It was over. It was, it was ugly early and he really stopped giving up some of the hard contact he was later in the year. So I think at the very least you see how he finished and, and, that's where the optimism is, okay, it's in there. And also the fact he showed the ability to adjust and and have some mental toughness and not let his slow start get him down.
3: Yeah, that was definitely a big, big, big thing for him. Um, He is the type of person that is very open-minded about the analytics standpoint, but he said there is also still a little bit of an old school feel to him to where he knows he's going to have to understand himself physically while balancing that with the analytics approach. Um, Because at the end of the day, we know numbers are numbers, they're gonna bring benefit in their own way. But if you don't know the feel, you don't know the the abilities that you have from a physical standpoint, I don't think you can fully maximize your potential. And I think for him to understand that at such a young age, that really is a promising point for him. He he saw where he fell short last year. And I think if you can take that, apply it and then find ways to get around it for the following season, that's progress, regardless of what those numbers are really saying, because we all know it takes time to find yourself at this level.
2: Yeah, You mentioned his potential coming out of the draft. Those who were highest on him saw potential number two starter early in his first full season. As I mentioned, it was more you know, number four, number five, and not a whole lot of confidence with that evaluation. The way he finished, where do people see his potential now?
3: I think right now it is still, I would say, safely um, as a back-end um, arm just because of the fact that it's still it's still a raw set that he's working with. Um, I would agree with the scouts that I've spoken to about it. There's optimism there, uh, but they're still kind of saying, okay, we, we really need to see a little bit more to see what this kid's all about. And so from that point, I, I think that's a safe place to keep him for now. I think, Max, you're looking at probably mid um, maybe like a number three. Uh, but right now, I would say I'd probably put a four or five for now just because there there's still some growth there. And I think it, being cautiously optimistic is is better than overshooting, especially knowing a system that has had so much hype behind it at times, you almost want to be a bit more realistic to sort of temper the, the expectation. But for him. Um, I think that there's definitely a ton of growth there, um, a ton of projection. And I'm just really, really hoping that he's able to hit that stride and really figure out what he's fully capable of.
2: Yeah. Seeing if, if he's able to carry over the success he had at the end of last season into high this year, I think is going to be one of the more interesting storylines of the Tiger system. He finished the year at high last year and pitched well there, but you know, getting a, a full collection of starts there and possibly moving up to double-A as well, where the competition gets really stiff. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch this upcoming season. Emily, with that, Job having some of his struggles being seen as more of a back-end guy now, based on your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the organization, how much debate was there for him to be number one over Jace Young, who was their first-round pick, 12th overall this year out of Texas Tech?
3: You know, I didn't hear a lot of debate from the evaluators I spoke with. Um, it seemed like once the Tigers set their sights, um, it was it was pretty pretty much decided. Um, I know there's always a few on the outside that have that that chatter, but what I've learned with working with the front office for the time that I have. Once they lock in, they do lock in and they they make their decision, they stand with it with confidence. Um and I think seeing again how much potential there could be there if properly developed, um, it's really gonna fall back on the front office and say, okay, we've invested in in this skill set, although it's young, we've invested in this skill set and now it's up to us to fully draw that out and show that as an organization, we're really improving on our player development abilities.
2: I do want to pivot into Jace Young here, as we mentioned, 12th overall pick out of Texas Tech, and he entered the year considered a potential top 10 pick, uh, considered one of the best pure hitters in college baseball. He really, really, really struggled once conference play hit in the Big 12, and especially at the end of the year, did not finish the year strong at all. And when he got into pro ball as well, the early looks were not great. We just to be frank, got some pretty rough reviews of him based on his pro debut. And then when it came time to put together the top 100 and we put together a preliminary list, uh, sourced it around the game for general feedback, he, along with Jacob Berry, the Marlins first round pick, were probably the two guys who got the most feedback of, hey, this guy doesn't belong on the top 100. This is not one of the 100 best prospects in baseball. There are real concerns here. Um, So ultimately, he moved off the top 100. And You know, there's two ways to look at this. First and foremost, there's lots of guys who kind of get draftitis. And then there's also lots of guys who struggle in their pro debut. They've had a long college season. It's just a long, long year. And you don't want to knock anyone for that too much. At the same time, the concerns and the not great reviews were pretty steady from about April all the way through September. What were you hearing? How much concern is there within the Tigers organization, outside the organization? and, And what are they seeing?
3: You know, I think for someone like Jace, there's definitely a higher expectation with the, the collegiate experience under his belt um, with a couple more years on someone like Jackson. There's definitely a higher bar set for college mm-hmm. draft picks. Um, having that experience at the collegiate level versus high school, there is a sense of saying, OK, you, you've been against this type of competition in the past. Now show us what you can do at this level. There is more pressure. There definitely is more pressure there. I think I would definitely agree that Jay struggled. Um, There was, much like with Jackson, he was very aware of it. A lot of these guys will be the first one to tell you. I can tell you where I fell short. I can tell you, you know, the areas that I definitely need to improve on, but I think I would give him at least a good year buffer. I think this year is really gonna be key for him. Um, I think really when you're moving somebody, even from college to the minors, it's still a very big transition. Um, not as big as high school to that level, but from college, it's different. The the players themselves will tell you that it's, it's a different animal once you hit the minor league system and so i think giving him that year to sort of buffer figure himself out figure out what he looks like at that level of competition i think that's allowed i think there is a bit of grace for that but i think coming into this season he's really going to have to show what he can do um we remember with spencer torkelson how highly touted he was didn't really do much at all at the start of his career offensively and then after a while slowly kind of got into that groove slowly started to figure himself out, but it did take time. Um, So I think obviously for Jace, given some grace there, at least a measure of grace, that was a bit understandable to have some of those growing pains. But this year is really going to be key for him to show if he's going to be able to move into it and to be able to see success.
2: Yeah, I think personally, I always give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Again, it's a long, long, long college season. They're jumping into pro ball, and, and as you mentioned, it's a completely different level of competition. There's some people out there who try and say things like, "Oh, the SEC is equivalent to high A." It, it's not. It's a wood bat. You're facing a lot more velocity. You're facing just better players. You know, a really, really good SEC or Big Twelve or ACC team maybe has. 10 or 11 future pros. When you get to pro ball, you're facing 25 pros. It's, it's a different level and there's always adjustment periods. So I, I definitely do think he deserves the benefit of the doubt, but I, I did think it was notable how even in that small sample opposing front offices where we very underwhelmed. So we'll see if he's able to come back next year and and show kind of the same level of performance and ability that made him one of the top college hitters in the draft coming into last year. And I know the Tigers would certainly like that. Again, there there are some young big leaguers offensively that are, are promising, but they certainly need more bats when you look at the long-term outlook for this team and having this draft pick be a hit would certainly go a long way toward helping that outlook. All right, Emily, I want to dive into you with the rest of the system. There are good players here. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we'll jump into that here shortly. We're driven by the search for better. But
1: when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
2: Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here breaking down the Detroit Tigers system with Emily Walden. All right, Emily, we talked about the top two guys in the system in Jackson Job and Jace Young, who there were some mixed reviews over the course of the year. But you move into the the next group of guys in the system, and three through five are all guys who got top 100 consideration. Now they ended up not making the final cut, but they're very, very close and, you know, it's funny. I feel like the numbers one and two prospect in the system, they're very talented with high ceilings, but there are more questions. You know, the numbers three through five were all guys who got pretty good reviews and, and performed pretty well last year. Uh, two right-handers, Wilmer Flores and Ty Madden, and third baseman Colt Keith. Take us through this three to five group. Was it Were they the clear-cut three to five? Did any of them have a case to be two or even one? How did you kind of sort this group out?
3: Yeah, you know, I will say for myself personally, when I'm putting these lists together, one of the funnest aspects is when you actually have to question yourself on, okay, we have more than one person to work with here. <laughs> so yeah. that, that part of it was particularly fun for me with this group. Um, I would say it was pretty straightforward with one and two, um, just from the conversation as far as, like you said, ceiling, uh, potential. Um, the way that evaluators spoke about long-term potential and so on. Um, But three through five, I would say this is a really straightforward top five overall. Um, With the other ones that we were going to mention, specifically Wilmer Flores, talk about a breath of fresh air for this organization. He had really one of the most, you know, out of left field, so to speak, seasons where people were aware of him. They knew, you know, knew the name Um, As far as just being in the system, but he really, really carved out a niche for himself. And I think seeing that type of potential and seeing that type of a skill set come out of the woodwork that's the type of thing the fan base was looking for because they're going wait hold on hold on tell me more about this guy this guy's got some stuff and so that was really fun for me to kind of piece together some of the notes on him throughout the season um, and then looking at my number four was Ty Madden and the number five with Colt Keith those are guys that I think definitely deserve to be in that top five ranking and they were a lot of fun to cover.
0: Yeah.
2: Wilmer Flores was one of the biggest breakout prospects of the season in 2022. And you can argue from a statistical standpoint, he was the biggest breakout prospect in 2022. Uh, He was a non-drafted free agent signing out of Arizona Western Junior College, which is in Yuma, Arizona, which for those of us out here in uh, the Southwestern United States know there's not a whole lot out there. Uh, He's the younger brother of Wilmer Flores as well, Giants infielder. And You know, there's baseball pedigree there, but again, this was not not a big name draft guy at all. A a smaller junior college, non drafted free agent signing in 2020, and, you know, had a decent pro debut in 2021, but nothing that gave you any sense of what was coming this year in 2022. Zipped up to double A, had a sub three ERA, 130 strikeouts and 23 walks and 103 and a third innings. Just a fantastic season all around. How much faith is there among evaluators that this is sustainable and repeatable for Flores moving forward?
3: I would say there's definitely optimism there. I know I spoke with several of his coaches, and one of the biggest takeaways that I got from them was just the sense of ease and confidence that he carried himself with. Um, They said he didn't try to overwork, he didn't try to put too much into anything. Uh, One coach in particular said he knows himself. And I think when you have that type of confidence, when you're still sort of navigating that level of competition, that speaks volumes. Because you look at how many guys, it takes them quite a while to not only understand what they're capable of, but even to understand yourself physically. You've still got a lot of guys who are developing from a physical standpoint. They're still learning their bodies. Some, somebody goes through a big growth spurt, they've gotta learn how to use those arms and legs. He understands himself, and I heard the same from evaluators, that his confidence, his ease of work, just a very fluid, very easy effort um, from all of the stuff he was showing this past season, I think speaks for plenty plenty of optimism, and a lot of evaluators shared that idea as well.
2: Yeah, with Flores... I mean, what does he project to be at this point? How do the Tigers see him fitting into their future?
3: Um, From what I spoke with or from the people that I spoke with in the front office, um, I had reports of a number two to a number three um, in my conversations with them. And I think if he's able to sharpen the stuff that he has already um, and just really get more of a sense of how to manipulate and shape certain offerings against opposing hitters. I think just with time, you're gonna see him only get better. Um, He's the type of person that as long as he stays healthy, there's already enough ingredients there to to shift and shape into a way that just makes him that much more deceptive, makes him that much more useful in different roles. And I think it gives the Tigers uh, more as far as versatility to work with in the future.
2: Yeah, again, a really, really impressive season. And I know a lot of people are very interested to see what he can do for an encore. Emily, Ty Madden at number four was really, uh, it was kind of shocking that he fell to the 32nd overall pick in the 2021 draft. And um, just to be frank, that was a case of people looking at a spreadsheet instead of watching the actual games. They were concerned about, you know, fastball and how it's going to play. But when you watched how it actually played in games, it was fine and got into the tiger system made a few slight tweaks, and he had no problem missing bats in his first full season, 133 strikeouts, only 38 walks, 122 and 122 in two-thirds innings, got up to A his first full season. Um, this just struck me again as a case of people staring at their computer screen more than watching actual baseball. The fact that he fell to the 32nd overall pick and the Tigers reaped the benefits of it. How happy are they with the season he had, and, and what does he project to moving forward? Because, I mean, they got a steal here.
3: No, I definitely agree. And I, I heard that same same statement from several people who I spoke to this season. He again, like Jace Young, faced a lot of a lot of um pressure as far as just being one of those quote unquote older draft picks. Um had the uh the college experience obviously coming from a powerhouse organization like the club at Texas. Um he came into it and I think really handled the pressure well. Um, There was, again, just that period where he had to sort of figure himself out at the minor league level, but really didn't come into any what I would call major growing pains. I think he stayed relatively steady over the year, Um, obviously was able to end the year well um, and show that he could handle that transition. So I think this year, uh, much like Jace Young, it's going to be what what can you do to really show that you can break yourself out now? Because it's it's going to be key for these guys when you've got the Tigers system in the position that they're in you have to have them be able to step up and say okay i'm ready to take on an even bigger challenge and when you're able to do that the front office will be the first to tell you they said if you can play there's a place for you the tigers understand how fresh they are right now and they're saying look if you're up to the task it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when we're ready to move you you just have to show us that you're capable and we'll put you in that position
2: yeah, he certainly showed he was capable last year. Uh, logged innings, 122 and two-thirds, and plenty of whiffs, not many walks. Didn't give up many hits either. It was, it was a great season, and uh, there's no doubt we'll see him in the upper levels this year and see if he can continue on the path he's on. Emily, we talked about you know these top five as kind of clear-cut top five. Colt Keith, another guy who had a really good year this year. It does feel like there's a, a little bit of a drop-off after that. I mentioned really all – these top five guys there's at least top 100 consideration there's not really top 100 consideration in the back half of this list take us through this group from the outside looking in it seems like it's it's guys who have a chance to be you know contributors but more utility fourth outfield maybe second division starter types as opposed to true average to above average everyday big leaguers is that a fair assessment
3: I would say it's a fair assessment there there were a couple that while they definitely don't Grab the same type of headlines as some of the the front picks. I think looking at a guy like uh, Reese Olson, for example, he he was what I would call again refreshing. He obviously was um, taken by the or taken from the Brewers um, in the exchange for Daniel Norris in 2021. He put up some good numbers, got a lot of praise from his coaches as far as consistency. Um, really was able to to put up a force against opposing hitters. Uh, Ryan Kreidler, I think there's still there's still some really good stuff there with Ryan Kreidler. I think if he's able to get in a place where he can keep his offensive production high, I think there's a place for him. Um, did well uh, defensively um, in the field for them. But it, really, it comes down to, like you said, what are they able to do at the plate? Who's going to be that next person to step up and fill that impact position? Because when you're an organization that's been known as Miguel Cabrera's team for the time that you have been, you really have to put a lot more of those impact bats in place. Because once that bat is gone, there's a lot of gaps to fill. Um, so specifically going through that list, I think Reese Olsen was was a fun one to look at. Um, and then obviously the offensive force of Kerry Carpenter. Uh, we all Yeah, I was going to ask
2: you about Carpenter <laughs> next. I mean, you talk about breath of fresh air. I mean, this was a breakout hitter as well. It's funny. We talk about the Tigers and their struggles to develop guys, but you look at two of the bigger breakout players in the minors last year, Wilmer Flores on the pitching side, Kerry Carpenter on the offensive side. I mean, he was on his way to leading the minors in home runs, he had 30 homers in 98 games. And the only reason he didn't is because he got promoted to the big leagues and you know, was a little aggressive there. Strikeout to walk wasn't great, but hit for respectable average, got to his power. I mean, how real is what we saw last year and and what's his role moving forward?
3: Yeah, it's, he strikes me as the typical power profile because you see that higher strikeout ratio because of the big swing. Um, You've got so much power behind the swing. So I think if you can look at someone as a power hitting profile, there's a bit more grace for that swing and miss um, just because of of what they bring to the table. Um, Spoke with evaluators about him, not a lot of optimism outside of his offense. Um, There's something there where I think you can put him in as an off the bench guy uh, to fill in defensively. I don't see him as an everyday starter defensively, uh, but I think as long as he's able to carry the same momentum from this season into 2023, there will definitely be a place for him. I think you can always find a spot for a bat with that much impact, but he's really going to have to show consistency if he wants to hold that position with the Tigers.
2: Yeah, obviously Miguel Cabrera is their DH, but after he retires at the end of the season, it seems like there could be a role for Carpenter as DH plays a little bit of left occasionally, maybe stickman right when you need to, sort of, you know, primarily DH, but can bounce into the outfield spots as needed. And as you said, If you can hit, you're going to be a positive contributor. And even as a DH, if he can get to his power and keep the swing and miss reasonable, even if it's just 250 with 20 bombs, I mean, frankly, that would be one of the Tigers' best offensive players right now. And I have to say, there was a lot of people who who gave Kerry Carpenter credit for making real changes. And in that sense, there was a sense that, yeah, what he did offensively, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a case of just oh, he's an older guy who's beating up on super young competition. There definitely does seem to be some belief that the bat, at least, is is real in a sense and can contribute, at least in a part-time role.
3: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I think really for him, like I said, it's just going to come down to consistency. Um, I think defensively there is some versatility there to where, like you said, you can put him into left, you can put him into right, just as sort of a, a a. A body out there. I think he's serviceable enough to where those tools will play at that level, just maybe not as an everyday type player. But I think looking past the Miguel Cabrera um, regime, if you will, I think that he definitely fits the bill as far as a future DH. And I think he brings a lot to the table in that sense.
2: Emily, as we've talked about with all the graduations and also some player development outcomes that haven't been great and this isn't the deepest system but there's always guys outside of the top 10 who end up contributing or playing a role or shooting up again we talk about this time last year no one had wilmer Flores or carrie carpenter among the tigers top 10 prospects and now they're slam dunk picks who are some of the guys that you think could really take a leap forward next year and, and end up contributing to the tigers in some form or fashion down the road
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think where we're looking at right now, somebody who impressed me um, a great deal was Parker Meadows, Um, obviously younger brother to also Tiger, Austin Meadows. Um, He really, really came into his own this past year, Um, really showed what he was capable of offensively. I think we could see more of that from him this year. Um, And then another one that got some very good reviews from evaluators was Dylan Smith, um, who the Tigers selected out of um, Alabama and was able to show some really good production on the mound. And then you've got some of the younger international uh, draftees, um, including Kristen Santana, um, some of the other younger ones that are coming up that are still quite a ways out, but um, really some, some intriguing international names. A lot of them you're still looking at. 16, 17 years old. So it's going to be quite a bit of time before they really start to work their way up into the system. But like we talked about before, if the Tigers are able to really capitalize off their desire to build in the player development area, which they've been trying to do for some time, I think we could see a lot of these guys start to make an impact and could do, could do so as soon as the season of everything plays out accordingly.
2: Yeah, Parker Meadows is a good call. I remember uh, doing my annual calls with scouts about who was standing out in spring training. And, and one of them raised Parker Meadows is, hey, I think he might be figuring it out. It was, it was apparent even in minor league spring training. Went out last year, mostly at double A, and, and had a really good year. Set career highs in every offensive category. It's not often you see a guy hit better in double A than he did in high A, but, but Meadows did and did considerably. He was only 22 last year, so starting to figure things out a little bit. Is there a sense he can grow into an everyday guy? Cause he's got lots of tools. The question was just, is he going to hit? And it took some time, but he hit last year.
3: It did. And I remember speaking with a scout specifically his first year with West Michigan. Um, I believe um, they may have still been a, a low eight team at the time. Um, but when I spoke with him, he said with a guy like Parker, he was able to watch a few games and he said, this kid is just going to need some time. He's going to be fine. He kept saying that specifically. And as we've seen, Parker, all arms and legs, (laughs) so much body to work with. He has gotten rave reviews for his athleticism, um, being one of the fastest guys in the organization. And when you can move that quickly with that much body to work with, especially at such a young age, I think that speaks volumes. Um, So for a lot of evaluators, they said he's not going to click as quick as some people might want him to, but give him time, he's going to figure this out.
2: Yeah, six foot five, listed two hundred five pounds. Like you said, it, it talk about pitchers with long limbs, hitters too. It takes him some time to figure it out, get coordinated, and looks like he's maybe doing it. It was, it was a good year last year. People saw it early. He kept it up through the year, and again, it's a promising development for the Tiger system. And, and Emily, that kind of leads me to where I want to wrap up here. You know, you've talked about Ryan Garko coming in, former big leaguer, has a lot of experience and kind of the enthusiasm, the optimism. And even though it was not a good year for the Tigers in a lot of ways last season in the major leagues. A lot of the guys we've talked about, they were expecting to be productive big leaguers. It just didn't happen or, or their seasons were cut short due to injury or all sorts of things. But we did see guys take jumps in the minors in the first year under Garko's player development group. Again, cautious optimism. It's one thing to be successful at low a high a, double a and a different thing to be successful in the major leagues at the same time. It does jump out to me how many guys took a step forward where you say, okay, maybe there is something here working with this new player development machine because it just in the past, I can't remember a time when we had three or four Tigers prospects all have big years out of nowhere.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think with the way that the front office was before, and I say this with all due respect, obviously there were a lot of very seasoned baseball minds in the front office I think, as an organization, I think it was tired. I think there had been just a lot of a fight to to try to make things happening. There wasn't a lot of progress. there was some some stuff that they were trying to work against, and the pieces just weren't coming together. And I think anytime you're able to get some of what we talked about that fresh perspective, um some fresh minds, some some from the outside looking in type of of look into the organization. I think that's going to breathe down through the organization. I think you're going to see the players feel it. I think you're going to see the coaches feel it. I think it really just sort of refreshes everybody's perspective on what they're doing, both as an organization and then as individuals, because it gives the coaches a better sense of saying, all right, we've got some new eyes on what we've been working with. Let's all work together and try to make the most with what we've been given. At the end of the day, The coaches are handed the players, the front office hands the players to the coaches. And it really is that organizational effort to say, let's keep it fresh, Let's keep everybody motivated. And I think as an organization, the Tigers are in a position to do something really promising this year from the AAA level down. But it's really going to be key to see what they're able to accomplish from a player development standpoint.
2: Yeah, again, things could be ugly in the big leagues this year, but looking at the farm system, how these guys continue to develop, what other breakouts happen, um, certainly going to be the the thing to watch for the Tigers this year. Emily, it's been great having you. Thank you so much for your time and insight as always. And uh, I speak for all of us. We look forward to seeing you back out at a ballpark uh, consistently again this year here in 2023.
3: Always a pleasure, my friend.
2: All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Emily Walden, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.